It is so good to see everybody here this morning. It feels like it's been forever with the snow day and the holidays since we've all been together. It's, uh, it's really exciting for me to see everybody here. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. And you know, since you've been, we've been away for a, a little bit, have y'all heard, have y'all heard the news? We got to keep up on, you know, catch up on all the gossip, catch up on all the stories. So have y'all heard the story about Teresa's book? Anybody? Anybody heard the story about Teresa's book? Oh, good. No, we have been apart for a while. So Teresa was serving as wedding coordinator uh, for a wedding recently, and the groom apparently was kind of a history buff, and she wanted to create tablescapes, which I have no idea what those are. I can kind of guess, but she wanted to create tablescapes with history books. So she went down to Dixon Street Bookseller, and she started digging through the bargain bin, because basically what she was looking for were hardbacks of a certain color. She wasn't looking for content, it was more just looking at what they're about, kind of a little bit, general vicinity of history sounding titles, and color. So she fills up a big box from the, from the discount bin, creates you know, this wonderful atmosphere for the wedding, puts them all back in the box, takes them, and then the question becomes, well now what do you do with a whole box of you know, bargain bin hardback books? So on a whim, she went on eBay to start just looking to see what she could get. And it was like, okay, I paid a dollar for this one on eBay, it sells for a penny. Okay, I sell, you know, bought this one for $2 on eBay, it sells for five. So it was all generally within that realm until she got to this book. Ordinary looking book, right? Fits right in with everything else, was sitting on the table in there. This one is uh, Lennon's Collected Works there. She pops the, the ISBN for this one, and it comes up, and they're selling for $2,500 on eBay. And all of a sudden, this book looks very different than all the other books in the discount bargain box. When Isaiah was writing about the coming Messiah, he said he had no look about him or majesty that would attract us to him. He said he would be ordinary, he would be common, he would be part of that discount bargain book box. And so it must have been very surprising to the people who were gathered at the side of the River Jordan when this very ordinary looking Jesus steps into the water and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit descends upon him and a voice resounds from heaven making grand proclamations. All of a sudden, this man looks very different than all the other people that were there. So pray with me as we begin our study today. Jesus, you're different. You're not just another religious figure. You're not just another prophet. You were the Son of God. You were the Messiah. You were the one we worship. You were the one in whom we place our faith. You were the one who redeems us, who shows us the way. And God, as we begin this season of epiphany, of coming to grips with who you are, We need that Holy Spirit. We need to hear that voice. 
We need it desperately. Please send your spirit anew, afresh for us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I, I remember it very clearly when Jane and I were bringing Hope home from the hospital. Hope is our oldest daughter. And as first-time parents, our whole um, imagination was around pregnancy and delivery. Right? Lamaze classes, everything. It's like, how do we get the pregnancy? What do you eat? How do you keep, you know, what do you do about morning sickness? How do you, how do, you do this? And what's it going to be like? And where are we going to go to the hospital? And you meet with the doctor. And, and it's all around there. And then I'll never remember, I mean, I'll never forget pulling away from the old Washington Regional over there on North Street in college with Hope in the back of our little Toyota, looking at each other and going, what now? <laughs> Anybody, anybody feel me on that? Anybody, anybody remember that feeling? <clears throat> it's kind of similar here, right? We've been through this, this yearning period, this, almost this pregnancy period of Advent, and then Christmas comes, the delivery. We've got the baby. And now we enter into this season of epiphany, and it's very similar to asking, well, what now? What do we do now that Jesus is here? What do we do now? That we have a Messiah. We're not waiting for a Messiah anymore. We have a Messiah. What do we do? Well, specifically, that's, that's kind of what we're going to study through this, this season of Epiphany. Is what, what do we do now? What do we do now? And, and today, we're going to talk about how Epiphany, this idea this, of Jesus being revealed as the Son of God, as the Messiah, well, how that changes the landscape. And we're going to talk about how epiphany is always linked to repentance with that. And then ultimately how epiphany makes a way forward. It answers the question. It helps us answer the question, well, what do we, what do, we do now? So our text today is from Luke 3. If you want to follow along, if you want to follow on the version, if you want to follow in your Bibles, uh, we're starting at... At verse 1, I'm going to paraphrase certain parts and then we'll, we'll go back into it. There's some images that will show to, to kind of help our imagination around this. But we have to know that Jesus came, first of all, in a very specific time. Alexander had taken over a lot of the world and then he had passed on and it was broken up among his sons and generals. And, and, uh, and Israel is in a very specific context of that. And remember we talked about during Advent how there had been 400 years of silence until Jesus shows up. And now maybe 30 years later, we're not exactly sure. 30 years after the angels, 30 years after the wise men, 30 years after fleeing to Egypt and coming back. That baby that leapt in the womb, that leapt in Elizabeth's womb when her cousin Mary showed up pregnant with Jesus, that baby is John the Baptist. And he has gone out into the wilderness. He has taken a Nazarite vow, some people think, which means that he's gone out and he's, he's foregone marriage, he's foregone uh, strong drink, he's foregone certain foods, um, he's, he's living off the land in a way, and he is proclaiming a message of repentance and saying, people get ready. People get ready. And he was baptizing them in this idea of Repentance to get ready. So he's out there. Um, this is also during the high priesthood, it says, of Annas and Caiaphas. And the word of the Lord comes to him 
And he knows that he is to go out there to prepare the way. He is the voice of one shouting in the wilderness. And he says this. He says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. And the crooked will be made straight. And the rough ways will be made smooth. Now, through the spring, we're going to be looking primarily at Luke's text, but Matthew adds in here that where Luke says the people were coming, Matthew adds in it was Pharisees and Sadducees, and they came down because they wanted in on it. There was momentum. There was something going on. There was something happening. People didn't know exactly what it was, but, but they could tell, hey, something is happening. Something's about to break loose. We want to be in on it. And instead of welcoming them, instead of John the Baptist being a good evangelical pastor uh, saying, hey, y'all, come on in. We're, we're going to make you comfortable here. He starts calling them broods of vipers. He starts calling them out on their sins. He starts telling them these, these things, these acts they have to do in keeping with repentance. Some of the things that he says are if you have two coats and you know someone who doesn't have one, give them one of yours. Some of the things he says, he says, if you're sitting down to eat and you've got plenty of food and you know of someone who doesn't have anything to eat, will you get up and you take some of the food off your table and you go share it with them? And naturally, because we're human beings, people started shooting back with questions. They were like, well, hold on, but how exactly do I do that? And so so a tax collector came up and said, what do I do? And and he said very specifically, he said, look, just do your job and don't, don't rip people off. Do what you're supposed to do, but don't steal. Don't use your position to enrich yourself unfairly at other people's cost. Soldiers came up, and they said, well, what do we do? And he said kind of the same thing. He said, but, you know, soldiers, they've got, they've got military might. He said, do not do anything with violence to get more than what you're due. Be content with your wages. Don't use violence, extortion to take it from people. But all these things were based around this idea of repentance, of changing. And so there was a big, there's a big kerfuffle going on, right? People are asking. John's calling them out on specific things. They're doing this, and then who shows up? Jesus. And John had told him about Jesus. He had said, look, I'm baptizing you with water. There is someone who is coming who is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the people were looking. They were anxious. They were were wanting to know who is this person going to be. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And again, I don't think most people in the crowd gave him a second look. Maybe they had heard about him. Maybe. We, we, we don't know. We don't know. There's just not a lot there in the text that tells us. We know that Jesus grew, like we ended our, our teaching last week, that he grew in wisdom and stature with God and men. But, but we have no reason to assume that he was any kind of star, that he was any kind of celebrity at this point. And he walks into the water. And other places tell us John was reluctant to baptize him because John knew who he was. 
John had a pretty good idea. But he walks in and he's baptized, and then this thing happens. And we don't, I, I think the writer just, there's just not words to express it adequately. There's just not language to really express how this happened. But in some way, there was a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus that was utterly undeniable, recognized by all the people, and then a voice comes out. A voice comes out of heaven. And it says, you are my one dear son. In you, I take great delight. You know, I wonder, I wonder how the people responded to that. I wonder if John just kept on baptizing after that. I wonder if the crowd dispersed or did they stay and talk or did they try to crowd around Jesus and ask him what it was because we know what happened Immediately after that is Jesus is compelled, called. One Greek word even implies being kicked out. He's kicked out into the wilderness, so he, he, he separates himself and separated from the crowds. He doesn't hang around for any kind of glory or adulation or press conference. And I wonder, I wonder if it started to seep into the crowd at that point. I wonder if they started to, to think, could this really be it? Could this be what we're longing for? And then I wonder if they remembered the way or the message of John the Baptist. You see, earth-shattering and utterly transforming are descriptions easily thrown around. They're definitely overused. But when something truly is earth-shattering, utterly transforming, it changes everything. It reorders our understanding of things, changes our perceptions and our priorities. And like strangers visiting a foreign place for the first time, we have to learn the landscape new. We don't know our way around. We have to learn, we have to learn different words for things that we're familiar with. And I think that's what happens here when he talks about preparing the way, when he talks about changing the landscape. The epiphany of Jesus terraforms everything anew. And then we're not talking about the physical hills. We're not talking about the physical stuff. And we're not talking about just the way we think. We're talking about the most intimate part of us, which is the relationships one to another. As we, as we met in the in the teaching team this week, it was, it was such a powerful time of grappling with what this understanding of means, what it means for, for high places to come low and low places to come high and crooked places to be straightened out and rough places to be made smooth. We talked about how that landscaping, that interior landscaping is how we view the world, how we view other people. You see it reflected in the instructions that John gave. He says, no longer do you see the person without a cloak as just someone down on their luff, bad on them, tough for them. You don't see him that way anymore. You see him as someone you go, no, I, I give him one of my coats. You no longer see the person who doesn't have something to eat. 
as just someone who's fallen on hard times. And man, if they just worked a little bit harder, if they just got their act in order, act together, they wouldn't be. No, you say, that's someone who shares my table. That's someone who I bring into my house. In your jobs, in your relationships, no longer are people, do we objectify people as a means to an end. They're no longer consumers to be sold something to. They're people just like us, dear to us, kin to us. When you talk about Christianity being the answer, and you look at the world that we live in today, torn apart by ethnic, racial, national strife, you trace all the problems in the world back to this, this way of seeing other people as other, as the enemy, as an object, as a competitor, as someone to be overcome, someone to be defeated. And you hear these words, you hear these words, it changes everything. And we start to realize, as Paul would go on later to say, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. Our primary classification of another human being is no longer, well, they're black and I'm white. They're Syrian and I'm American. That's a woman, I'm a man. Those things still exist. But that's not the primary way we view people anymore. Those mountains are torn down. Those valleys are lifted up. Those crooked ways are made straight. And the word of the Lord and the Messiah, that path is made clear for everyone. Everyone. Every man every woman, every child who is alive, everyone. The barriers are broken down. The obstacles are removed. It's all gone. It's all made flat. That's what the epiphany of Jesus does, is it destroys the barriers, not just between God and people, but between people this is the gospel and it is earth shattering it changes everything and like every major movement like this we may grasp it initially we may embrace it initially as it works out though it's scary it's messy it's challenging and we can't complete in the flesh what is started by the spirit we're not going to do it just with programs and strategies. Do we need to give effort? Yes. The best, the most, and the first of our effort, we have to give it to it. But it's not going to be accomplished by that effort. It is going to be accomplished by the Spirit of God. It is going to be accomplished by that Spirit working in us. That is only available, that spirit, 
is only available through repentance. We don't like to repent. I don't want to repent. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. Don't anybody tell you different. It hurts. But it's the only way. We can't embrace this gospel while we're still grasping to something else. We cannot open ourselves to the Holy Spirit working among us while we're still defending ourselves. Y'all, I, I, I can't soft sell it. I can't package it. I can't make it easy. Repentance like this is, is being led into the wilderness. I can't give you three steps. I can't promise you an outcome that makes sense. I can't do it because I don't know it myself. I don't know it myself. All I know is that a way has been made that I couldn't make. All I know is that my whole vision for where I thought was success before has proved to be toxic. It's proved to be a dead end. It's proved to be a prison or a pit. And the way that I see now, the way that I'm supposed to walk in, I don't see the end of it. All I see is who I'm following. On my best day, on my best day. As I see the one I'm following, and I'm trying to follow faithfully, I'm trying to follow faithfully with that. Because I think that's what epiphany does, is epiphany takes away all those promises and invests a person. It gives us a person. It gives us this person, Jesus Christ, the one in whom God said he was delighted, the one whom God says was his only son. He gives us this person, and then he gives us each other. He gives me Tim and Tim to me. He gives us each other. He gives us the Patron family. I, that's it. I don't know what it means. I don't know how to walk it out. I'm trying. But that's, that's what we have. Look, we've waited, right? We've waited in Advent. We've waited. We've needed this, this Messiah, and the Messiah has come at Christmas. We've celebrated. But now, what now? What now? All I know is to follow Jesus. That's all I know, and all I know is to do it with y'all. And I think that's all of us, all any of us have is with that. Now, it takes effort. It takes effort. It's not passive. Don't hear me just saying just because we don't have certainty, just because we don't have these things, doesn't mean that we, we just are passive and we just sit back and wait. And we have to apply ourselves. This, as we go through this year, I want to I invite all of us, because I'm doing it myself, believe me, I'm trying to do everything I say. I don't want to ask anybody to do anything I'm not doing myself. 
but to apply yourself to this. Give effort to it. Read this testament, this testimony, this Bible that we have that has cost the blood and lives of so many people to deliver faithfully to us. Let's study it this year. Let's get in a dialogue with it. Let's, let's let it transform us. Let's add our voice to it. Let's say no to the things we need to say no to. You know what they are. We know what they are. Say no to them. Just say no to them. And if you can't say no by yourself, tell somebody else and get them to help you say no. Say yes to the things you need to say yes to, even when it's scary, even when you don't know what it's going to turn out to be. Say yes to the things you need to say yes to. And then trust that ultimately that's not what's going to do it. It's necessary but insufficient. What is going to do it is the Spirit of God in us, among us, and through us as we embrace this revelation of Jesus Christ and His coming. I I think about you, Teresa, as you're picking through that book bin at Dixon Street. And how you picked up this book and went, hmm, right color, hardback, looks like history, and tossed it into the box, along with all the other books. And then as you're sitting at your computer and typing in ISBN numbers, and then that pops up with this book, how all of a sudden, whoa, wait a minute. It's just, better not toss this one back in the box quite so <laughs> quite so callously, carelessly. Y'all, we have something of infinitely greater value. We've been given the revelation, we've been given the invitation to something infinitely greater value than this. In our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the invitation, the way that he has made for us to follow him, both as individuals and as a community. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. You know, those people that day walked away. And they went back to their jobs, and they went back to their houses, they went back to their families. And maybe they spoke about it, maybe they talked about it, but I, I would dare say a lot of them may have forgotten that day. Because that's what we do, is we forget. We get caught up in our lives and we forget. God knows that, Jesus knows that. So not only did he give himself once, but he gives himself continually his offering of himself was not a solitary isolated act that we have to somehow dredge up the memory for no he comes to us now he comes to us new Jesus is present today at this table with us God is present in the spirit the father is present in the word in our adoration God is here.
Do we see it? Do we see God? So we're going to invite you to come to the table. Come just as you felt led. We don't dismiss in rows if you're a visitor. The table is open to all who are seeking that revelation of Jesus, that connection. Understand this Savior, this Messiah who's been given as you put that cracker on your tongue, as you take that drink. Jesus is here for us. Do we see him? Do we see what he's inviting us to, what he's asking us to do? Thank you for being here. I don't take this for granted. I often show up on Sundays and, I, and I'm just I'm astounded that you're here. Thank you for that. Um, we'll also take up an offering here and then Teresa will close us with a benediction.